0: It was actually very painless. I actually ended up being um, a half an hour early just because... I went to get tested um, the Monday before, and I got so lost, and I felt so bad because um, I was super late. So I was like, I'm definitely going to be on time for the vaccine, and I showed up, and I was like, I'm sorry, I'm 30 minutes early. They're like, it's fine. You can go. And then I went, got it over with. It was completely painless. Vaccines and uh, shots are not as painful for me as they are for you.
1: Um, <laughs> right, and I You're, like, completely painless. I'm, like, agree to disagree.
0: (laughs) I think they were, like, waiting for me to be more nervous. I just, like, rolled up. And I was just like, yeah, just stick it in there. Let's get this uh, show on the road. Um, And then I went and sat in a room for 15 minutes. And there was, like, very relaxing music. And there was, like, a turtle, like, swimming on the screen. And it was just a really nice experience. And everyone was so happy and
1: yeah. Just like a fun time. I will say yeah, it seemed like there was a spirit of like joyousness <laughs> in in everyone, not like super chipper, but like you could just tell like people were glad to do it. But yeah, we um had to do the same like 15 minute blah blah blah. It wasn't as calming. I also ugh, like I haven't really seen any people other than like my friends who working but i don't think i have any more friends who work there i guess maybe Susie. i don't know but um the moment i get there and um yeah it's been like two years and somehow they all like recognize us with like masks and sunglasses on <gasps> no. like oh my that. god hi and I'm like,
0: oh. I don't want to talk to you right now. <laughs> well, yeah, it's kind of unusual because you technically are going in for a medical procedure. And you don't yeah. necessarily want to run into everyone you know
1: Yeah, getting yeah.
0: a medical procedure. Yeah. Um, thankfully, I have no friends at work, so <laughs> I didn't have that problem. I
1: mean, neither do I. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I have like a slight... Like, I was calm. My heart rate, thank thank you for Valium. I, so Ollie's in the room for the first time that I'm recording, and the moment I start talking, it doesn't matter if it's a work call or anything. The moment I start talking, he's, like, all over me trying to get attention. I don't hear Um, him at all. Oh, he's, he never makes noise. He's, like, a super quiet dog.
0: I mean, that's more than I can say for Gary. I'm actually, uh, I'm trying something new. I'm like partially in my closet today. Oh. Um, I might try to make this a more permanent thing just because I think it helps block out the sound
1: mm-hmm. even
0: more. Because it's just like um, when I was recording at Evan's house, it was just so much better because I was like in a room where I can mm-hmm. shut the door and far away from people. Um, whereas here, it's like even if Evan's playing the TV at a low volume, I can still hear it like. I can never hear our neighbors but I can hear through the bathroom door through I can hear everything inside of our apartment I cannot hear anything outside of our apartment which I guess I shouldn't complain about yeah but um yeah I might make this more of a permanent thing
1: just being like in the closet closet kind of I feel like it makes sense In I'm like should I be recording in my closet that like it would be kind of like a little sound space it's like a Enclosed room, almost. Okay, he just jumped onto my lap.
0: Hi, Ollie. Too
1: big for this boy. Also, all the clothes absorb sound. I imagine, so it's just
0: like a a win-win kind of situation.
1: Can you, did you Hear that? That's Ollie sniffing. (laughs) Hi,
0: Ollie. Yes, I hear him sniffing. (laughs) So cute. Hello, puppy. All
1: right, kennel.
0: Yeah, I will say. Um, I don't know if you saw my picture that I posted. Of I was like, oh my god, I have to ask someone to take my picture, but then I felt. Conflicted because I'm like, oh, should I really be asking like a stranger to t- touch my phone right now? Is that going to make them uncomfortable? I'm like, there's hand sanitizer everywhere, <laughs> and my hair looks
1: so gross. Oh my god! It really didn't. It. it really didn't. Like if okay. you said nothing about your hair, I'd like one. I wouldn't have really looked at your hair. But even then, I'm I'm like, I don't it know. It looks what like a about. ferret died on my face. No, it doesn't. But Rachel, my biceps look amazing. We We are (laughs) our biggest critics. So
0: you know what? I just because I didn't think about how I looked because I was like, oh, I'm going to have a mask on anyway. Um, Whatever. You know what? I just think that it's important to, you know, show the people out there like, hey, I'm getting this. Like, the first thing I did was send a picture to my grandparents because (laughs) I want them to know, like, it's safe for you to get this. And I want you to get this. Yeah, that's why I'm vain
1: sorry you're vain (laughs) i'm vain (laughs) um no my the nurse who was doing mine she was like do you want a picture and i was like of what (laughs) i was like this is the last thing i want to remember oh my gosh it's history i mean sure whatever i have my like vaccine card that'll be that'll be enough uh you betcha
0: i'm putting that in a scrapbook (laughs) i don't have a scrapbook but i'll make one we got it over with Almost.
1: Yeah. One more to go. My arm still hurts though. So. Oh really? I'm just yeah.
0: waiting for mine to hurt.
1: Um, my arm, like it kind of got like where around, probably like the size of my hand, like got really like s- like swollen and stiff Ooh. for a bit. So it's just sore yeah. now.
0: Mine feels totally fine, but I just that's how I, when flu shots, I always just it hurts the next day, and I I don't know if I actually feel crummy or if I'm like. Oh, I just got my flu shot. I'm so tired. You know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Just being overdramatic as per usual. Yeah. I realized how drastically my life has changed since I got my anxiety kind of together through, like, a cocktail of, you know, therapy, medication, mm-hmm. other things. Because I'm like, wow. Because I, I thought today, I'm like, this is a situation where before I would have been so anxious that, mm-hmm. like, I don't think I would be able to like hardly talk to anyone and I probably would have procrastinated it for a very long time and like my heart would have just been like racing the whole way in and like I was so chill I was just like (laughs) chatting everybody up I was just like you know what I've really grown as a person because (laughs) before I like wouldn't even be able to make it to the point of like talking to other people like how's your day going blah blah like I would just be internally dying so Mm. for anyone out there who's listening to this it may seem horrible but there is hope out there and just keep
1: just keep going to therapists get a good cocktail of drugs and you'll be good
0: (laughs) yeah figure it out so i guess that was like the silver lining to not that like my experience was bad in any way it was just awesome Mm -hmm. it was great Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pink Collar Crime, a true crime podcast focusing exclusively on crimes committed by women. I'm Rachel. And I'm Natalie. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Each week, we're going to tell you about one or two cases of crimes committed by women and discuss details, motives, similarities, and differences, etc.,
1: etc. If you like our show, tell your friends. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating and tell us what you love or don't love about the show.
0: And give us a follow on social media at pod. Moving along to like the theme of today, which you know what I don't even really know what you decided the theme would be. Gambling, I, <laughs> gambling, great, yeah. I came to Natalie oh. with a case, and I said, "Here, here's my case. You can uh, pick one of the angles, whatever. Like you can do gambling, you can do like celebrity or like movie." story or what are words like a story turned into a movie that like has a celebrity playing your person like or whatever you decide honestly you could like do something that has nothing to do with uh, my case and what what would i do i just have to roll with it
1: i'm not gonna fire you, <laughs> well, you just, the overarching theme that day would be a crime committed by women
0: yeah <laughs> Exact and I'm sure that you could find like some connection. Like maybe you oh. had brown hair.
1: <laughs> she was blonde, he was blonde. they both were blonde, it would be great. Yeah.
0: Not be a he. That's like our one literally one oh. like hard bass <laughs> rule. Yeah. Um, but to like get in the theme, I made a Tom Collins. I don't know if you can hear my ice cubes.
1: Oh. I was like, I'm Alcohol. gonna make a
0: cocktail. <laughs>
1: I completely forgot. I've been, like, glued to my desk and, like, working nonstop all day, so I'm depressed that I don't have a little alcohol.
0: We can take a break, (laughs) but it goes along with my case, so I was like, this is perfect. We're also (laughs) recording on a Friday afternoon as opposed to, like, a weekday, so typically, you know, I'm not, like turn it up. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, so I like went all I went all out. I um made my own simple syrup and I got lemons and you like it's like lemon juice simple syrup um gin and I didn't realize I needed club soda, so I have green tea citrus uh bubbly water in here. Mm. But you know what? I think that might like add to it. Makes it
1: cool. Yeah. I, I have like all of those ingredients I could totally make one of those for myself I won't but I could totally do it That's very close to what my favorite drink is Which is a French 75 And so I think the only difference is instead of club soda It's champagne But like oh. everything else is the same
0: See I'm not fancy enough to even have heard of that before
1: <laughs> I um That was like my like signature drink at my wedding <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so they like anytime like my hand was empty like one of the wedding planners would like appear with a <laughs> with a wow. glass for me which was great. <laughs> this
0: is great giving me some ideas for my own wedding i'm not engaged but
1: bit, i'm just kidding <laughs> no <laughs> not yet there so it was really funny editing um the pod for i guess last week um You did a great job. I actually listened to it. Oh, really? (laughs) Um, There was like one, I had to kind of cut, like we talked about things in such a weird order, but I had to like cut it to make it work. It worked out the way you, whatever way you did it. Yeah, I was very proud of what I did. But there's like a random part where you don't hear, you don't hear anything. It's like silence. And then all you hear is like Evan yelling, it's only Natalie. (laughs) (laughs) That is
0: his mindset. Absolutely. (laughs) I was like, oh, it's my house i need to be able to do what i want in my house. house i'm like just be quiet for like two hours that's it see the problem is is that like if you told me to be like you don't even have to tell me to be quiet for two hours if you just don't talk to me i won't make any noise i'll just be <laughs> off doing my own thing but like he's just loud i don't know
1: <laughs> that's kind of the same for both of us here The only thing that Jarell does that I'm like, you need to figure your life out is he blows his nose so loud. I'll be on a Zoom call. And I'm like, dude, I'm trying to talk. You're like all the way on the other side of the apartment. Like, why can't I hear you? (laughs) So, fortunately, it's definitely a a guy
0: thing. They just make so many noises. Like, Evan's like, if he sneezes, it's like he yells. I'm, does, it startles me
1: does saying that that's a guy thing does that categorize itself as like a feminism fail cause like that was kind of sexist
0: <laughs> <sighs> see but it's like per- <laughs> hold up I say it's a guy thing, but kind of undressing the the things is that women are taught to be quiet, to, like, not make Aww. too much noise, to be delicate. You know, if you're blowing, if I, like, showed up somewhere, I was, like, <laughs> blowing my nose, <laughs> people would look at me weird. Whereas when guys do it, it's, you know, oh, boys will be boys. Like, I so that's you. where I think the roots of it come from is that, Men are not taught you need to be quiet, you
1: need to be like ladylike. Mm-hmm. So I think I that's you. where it stems from. I hear you. The, so it's an anti-feminism fails. Good job. It's
0: it's not me. It's society. Okay.
1: <laughs> I just I like just finished listening to like this week's um, here to make friends, which is how is it's on it? My head. How was it? Uh, pretty good. I like the guest person that they brought on. Um, I think she was like. Um, like a somebody who works at huff huffington post um like i think she's black and this is her first time ever watching the bachelor so i i like i like when they when it's new people bringing on like a fresh take where they're like i don't what why are they doing this (laughs) yeah Um, it's like more funny
0: when people are like what the actual heck is going on versus like oh here's all the systemic racism and sexism that (sighs) takes place i'm like (sighs) i know they're terrible um (laughs) anyway so guys before we get started on our gambling topic um (laughs) please like our podcast give it a review that helps us out so much and for every review we get we're donating a dollar to um the center for national center for victims of crimes um you would think yeah, that I would know the name by now, but every time I'm worried I'm going to say it wrong, so uh, we'll give a dollar to somebody uh, <laughs> who needs it. Charity, for sure. Definitely. Cheers. Um, I believe it's my turn to go first. Yes. And I am so excited. I have been living and breathing this case for the past week, so I hope I do it justice. <laughs> Um, But essentially the backstory is, is that last Sunday night, Evan and I were looking for a movie on Netflix. Um, We have such a hard time finding movies we both agree on. I don't know if it's the same with you and Jarrell, but like Evan likes historical fiction or just like really bad humor movies. And I like things that are true crime or like Disney movies, so <laughs> there's not too much crossover there. Um, but we saw this movie called Molly's Game. I'd never heard of it, and it starred Jessica Chastain, Michael Sarah, Idris Elba, Kevin Costner, which was like was a pretty star-studded cast. Um, Idris
1: oh, Elba. What oh, the no! heck? Idris.
0: What? <laughs>
1: Idris. <laughs> Idris oh, Elba. Oh, terrible
0: person. Idris one album. of
1: one of the, one of the greatest things england has ever given us yes i'm so sorry <laughs> just kidding but yeah uh, keep going. <laughs> uh, all of those
0: people and the description um was like oh this is the true story of an olympic level skier who became involved in, with the underground poker scene after an injury and i was just like what <laughs> um how have i never heard of this before and it came out i think it came out in 2018 so i was like that's just such an unusual story um so we watched the movie thought it was great um i immediately went on overdrive and downloaded her book because that was like one of the plot pieces of the movie was that she had written a book and i was like oh my god i have to finish this before i do my script because i want to have all the information well the regular book was checked out so i was like shoot because i'm like a pretty good speed reader so i was like i could get it done in however many (laughs) days um so the only thing that was available was the audiobook and I listened to it in two days.
1: Um, so I think that's pretty impressive.
0: Or I have no life, you know. Have, we'll have you
1: um have you ever gambled? No. I, I don't,
0: neither. I don't even think I know I don't know how to play poker. I don't Same. know Oh, I will take that back. I think we gambled on horses. Oh one time.
1: I feel like the closest that I've ever like got into gambling is like when you go to like one of those arcade type things and you put like a cheese yeah and you put like a (laughs) coin in and it's like a fake slot machine or something i've done that Hmm. See, (laughs) i I never win
0: (laughs) betting on horses is that even considered gambling
1: according to peaky blinders it is so yeah
0: Okay, and, and like, to be fair, I was a child, and it was, like, my parents took me to, like, a racing track, so, like, don't think that I was going, like, just watching horses run around and betting
1: on them like a shady Mm -hmm. character. Um, But,
0: yeah, other than that, no, I don't know how to play poker. Do you
1: consider the lottery gambling? Is uh, it? It is, isn't it?
0: In a sense, sure. I mean, it's not the same as, like, going to a casino. Have you been to a
1: casino? I have not. Um... I don't think so. I feel no. like if you have to think about it, the answer is no. <laughs> I don't leave my house. Yeah, no, I um, I don't think I've ever been to a cons- casino. I used to ask my dad. I would be like, why don't you play the lottery? We could become billionaires. And he would just look at me in, like, utter disgust. Just kidding. My dad loves me. Um, but he would just be like, um... I like the money that I already have to, like, risk it for money that I don't. <laughs> I was like, solid, solid. And I feel like I carried that with me through life. And so I don't really gamble, but my husband uh, sometimes does. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. He likes – he, he watches MMA. I think that's probably his favorite sport right now. And So he watches, like, UFC and MMA fighting. And so, like – DraftKings, I think, is, like, a gate, like, they know what they're doing to, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) make it a gateway. They're like, hey, we'll give you, like, ten free dollars to place a bet, like, this specific bet. But I, yeah, and I'm like, this is just a way to get people in and then like hook them. Oh, DraftKings um, is super shady. I've listened to podcasts yeah, about them and Yeah, but fortunately um he like it like it, it's all it's always just like a one off like oh like this guy's the underdog. I feel like he might win. Um he Scott I think he's been successful a few times but yeah. Still so,
0: it's-, it's a gamble. <laughs> it's a gamble. it's a
1: gamble. Although
0: um, fun fact, uh, Massachusetts, I think uh, I think the average person here spends eight hundred dollars on lottery tickets, and that's <sighs> factoring in that some people spend zero dollars on lottery tickets. So is
1: that over? Um, is that over a year? Like, over a year. Of, okay. So that's, people are
0: spending a lot of money on lottery. Lot. You guys and have like,
1: casinos like in Boston, don't you?
0: I'm not sure if we <coughs> do, but I think any you know convenience store that you go to is just like plastered with. Uh, like betting lottery type stuff. (laughs) So getting back to Molly's, Molly's (laughs) game is the movie. Um, So I'm going to tell the story and I will also maybe throw in some comparisons about like real life versus the movie. So if you want to watch the movie without any spoilers, maybe, you know, fast forward to Natalie's case now, but it also (laughs) came out in 2018. So like, I don't really feel that bad if I spoil it for you. Um,
1: But but also- Why wouldn't people like spoilers? I just feel like it's nice to know where you're going so you can enjoy the ride. Hello.
0: Right. And now you're getting the true story from me so you can watch the movie and make comparisons to it that way. Um, Whatever. So Molly Bloom, which like what a name. Molly Bloom. I feel like if your name's Molly Bloom, you're just destined to be like really cool. That sounds like a, what's that? Like the clue game. Like it sounds like a character in that. Molly Bloom or like. Patricia Peacock or I don't know what those people were called um so she was born April 21st 1978 in Loveland Colorado her father Larry Bloom who is portrayed by Kevin Costner in the movie is a clinical psychologist and professor at Colorado State University he taught psychology of human sexuality I took that course not at Colorado but At school it was really interesting uh psychopathology and psychobiology so dr bloom has won numerous awards for teaching and has also maintained an independent practice throughout his teaching career her mother char taught skiing and snowboarding and was also a professional fly fisher who had her own line of clothing so from the start her fame was pretty interesting um so molly had two brothers jordan and jeremy and her brothers were, like, straight-up prodigies. So I, I believe they were both younger than her. Um, even though he was younger, Jordan was so smart that he was testing out of his classes and into Molly's. And he would end up going on to Harvard and becoming a surgeon at Mass General Hospital, which is, like, pretty cool. Pretty, you know, high-caliber hospital there. Um, Jeremy would end up being a competitive skier. And at 19, he was the number one skier in the world and would also be a two time Olympian. And he played on the Philadelphia Eagles. So, can you imagine having these two overachieving
1: siblings? Like, but can you imagine being like the parents of these kids? Just being like, look at how awesome my kids are. Or like being a friend of their parents. And they're like, oh, yeah, my kid, you know, graduated high school
0: football (laughs) children (laughs) um so for molly even though she was an extremely bright child she felt she always lived in her brother's shadow she was never the smartest or the most talented person at the dinner table in any other family molly would have been the star child but in her family she faded into the background but nonetheless molly was born with a drive to be successful Molly wanted to be a skier, but she wasn't born with the natural talent of her brother. She made up for the difference by busting her butt. But at 12 years old, Molly noticed something wasn't right. And after going to the doctor, she was diagnosed with scoliosis. In order to fix her back, she had to get a surgery to fuse 12 vertebrae in her back together. This would require a lengthy recovery and doctors told her she would never ski again. Even at this young age, Molly wouldn't take no for an answer, and one year later, she was back on the slopes. She made the U.S. ski team and was third overall in North America for a period of time. Her retirement from skiing came earlier than planned when she was injured during a ski run, question mark? Like, doing a ski? Uh, I don't know what that's called. <laughs> um, in like a one in a million or billion or I don't know the exact math. In a really big bad stroke of luck um a stick like from a tree caused molly's ski to release midair, and she was oh injured during in the movie like watching it, i'm not sure it was as dramatic in real life but i was like oh my god mm-hmm. um so she was injured during her landing and this injury uh, or an injury this late in the game forced her into early retirement uh, at this time, Molly was in her last year of college, and even though she spent a lot of time training, she had maintained a 3.9 GPA and had some killer LSAT scores, which, like, <laughs> I feel so bad for her that her brothers were, like, ridiculous, because that's awesome. She,
1: yeah, because she's also impressive.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's probably, like, you know, top 5%, or mm-hmm. at least that. Um, So she was set. To move into the next phase of her life after this retirement. And in a decision that would seriously anger her father, Molly moved to LA in 2001. In her mind, she had already had an entire career and had retired from it. So she was ready to take a break after skiing professionally for 10 years. She'd spent enough time in the cold and was ready for some sun. So she planned, you know, to apply to law school. She would get through it, but first she just wanted a chance to be young, which... I feel like is completely understandable she's been pretty seriously devoting herself like being on an Olympic level skier Olympic level anything is like no no joke it just takes so much of your life um, so her father did not approve of this choice there was uh, so much pressure pressure for the bloom children to be successful and the move to LA didn't quite fit into the life he envisioned for Molly so we he cut her off financially and molly was quick on her feet moved in with a friend she slept on her couch and had started to work as a waitress to earn some money now the waitressing gigs in la are highly competitive most people competing for these positions are out of work actresses and models so a lot of restaurant gigs actually require a
1: headshot to even apply probably like vanderpump like vanderpump rules
0: (laughs) I've never seen that picture. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. Which, Molly is extremely attractive, but she's also... I believe she's, like, 5'3", or kind of on the shorter side, and I don't... She's pretty, but I don't know that she's, like, I'm a model kind of look. Um, so... She did luck out, though, and was able to get a serving job, and she acknowledged that she maybe wasn't the best server out there, Um, but there was something about her. You know, people like to talk to her, and she had a way of making people feel very comfortable. So while she was serving, Molly met a real estate investor who was in need of an assistant. In her book, her boss was given the name Reardon Green. I believe in real life his name is Darren Feinstein, but I'm just going to call him Reared in, because that's what I'm familiar with. Um, and she would soon learn why he had a really hard time keeping anyone around. He was a huge jerk. He just throughout listening to the book, it's just appalling. Like he constantly called her stupid, like would fire her for ridiculous reasons and then like bring her back. And she was basically on call 24-7, but she really wasn't making enough money to fairly compensate for her time. Uh, in her book, Molly details a time where Reardon called her early in the morning, demanding she bring him bagels, and she stopped at the store on her way to the office, and Reardon had a full-on tantrum saying, like, these are poor people bagels. I can't eat these. And in the movie, he, like, throws them at her, and she, like, ducks. I don't know if it was that aggressive in real life, but he was just a real jerk. Um, so, super gross in my opinion. Uh, But one night, he called her up and said, I need you to help me run a poker game. At first, Molly was hesitant. She had a shift as a cocktail waitress that night, and she made more in one night um, waitressing than she did working for Rudin for a week, partially because you can make so much money being a cocktail waitress, but also because he
1: really wasn't paying her enough. Um, Oh my god. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? No. Like, suddenly I'm like picturing this movie. I've seen like 10 minutes of this movie. Okay.
0: Keep oh, going. it's a good movie. Watch it again. <laughs> um, but Reardon was like, honey, this is going to be worth your time. Like, don't go to that job. And she was like, okay. She didn't know anything about poker, like literally not a thing. So she went home and pulled up Google to, she like Googled what music do poker players listen to? And like, what do poker players like to eat? She knew that there was probably going to be some important people there and wanted to make a good impression. So she made a mix CD with songs like The Gambler and, like, other really cringy gambling-related songs and got, like, a cheese plate from the grocery store and put on her cutest outfit. Um, But, like I said, Molly hadn't really been making that much money, and her wardrobe was still very uh, small-town Colorado chic. Um so when the players started to arrive at the game it was crazy leonardo dicaprio was there toby Maguire was there like just in this game like she would by doing this she would like meet billionaires important wall street people people athletes like it was like crazy but um the poker games took place in the viper room on the sunset strip in west hollywood It was a hopping place because it had been uh, partially owned by Johnny Depp for for quite a long time, and it also gained notoriety after River Phoenix passed away there um, because of a drug overdose. So during the first game, Molly decided that she was going to become an expert on hosting poker games. After the unbelievable night ended, Reardon encouraged the players to tip Molly. This would determine whether or not they got invited back. She left the game with $3,000 in tips. Can you imagine? (laughs) Like,
1: how awesome. I would love that job.
0: (laughs) Seriously. So, gambling is a gray area as far as legality, but by only collecting tips, Molly was avoiding doing anything, like, hardcore illegal. So, you know, if she were to take a rake or, like, a a quote-unquote house fee for hosting um, without having a license to operate the games, then that would officially be illegal um but by just taking tips that's kind
1: of getting around that um in bridgerton a rake is like a morally like a complete like a morally deplorable person
0: oh so. interesting
1: interesting fun fact
0: this like rake makes me think of like like a rake if you're raking a leaf you just like take a little bit just a little rake just a little bit of leaves <laughs>
1: that's how it is no <laughs> <laughs>
0: i don't know if that's like where it comes from but that's you just get a little rake and you just take a bit um <laughs> But speaking more to the, like, legal versus illegal part of it, too, um, underground poker games often involve a lot of um, shady people, Uh, can sometimes involve, like, mob members or illegal drugs or sex workers. Um, So at first, Molly, you know, very clearly drew the line of I'm not getting involved in any of this, but we'll talk more about when she uh, crossed the line later. Um, so she kept assisting with hosting the games, and with her increased salary, she was able to start dabbling in the true L.A. lifestyle. So she was able to get designer clothes, designer shoes. Um, she had to balance a fine line with being a host. So she wanted to create this very specific atmosphere for the players. She kind of described it as making them feel like they were James Bond. So she would memorize their drink orders, their favorite foods. You know, if they needed a designer purse for their mistress, she could make it happen. And she was also, she became a pro at securing reservations at any restaurant, no matter how far out they were booked. And this is kind of funny. She would like come up with this sob story being like, I made reservations months ago and these people flew in and my boss is going to be so upset if if you can't find them, like, I'm going to get fired. So they would always, you know, find her reservation for her. So that just, you know, goes to show she really had this way of connecting to people and had a really good understanding of reading situations and knowing exactly what to say. So I feel like in this case, as much as she had disdain for her father, that she really, you know, used a lot of the same skill set that he would use to be a psychologist to kind of make her way through this environment so maybe she learned something from him or learned some things on her own I don't just want to you know credit her father because clearly she was gifted uh, herself but um she had to find this delicate balance between you know she wanted to impress these like celebrities super rich guys and she also didn't she she didn't want to like you know be obsessed with them they already had a lot of like fan people Um, But she also didn't want to, like, flat out ignore them and be rude. These people were used to celebrity treatment, so Molly had to be different. So Reardon wanted to start paying Molly even less for her work around the office, kind of justifying it as, you have this poker game, like, I don't need to pay you as much. Um, And she's like, that doesn't make sense because I'm still doing all this work for you. Um, so, So he was holding the poker game over her head. And one day he got angry over something ridiculous, as per usual, and fired her. This meant no more poker game for Molly. But she was smarter than that. Once she got over the initial shock, she decided that she was going to pull the game out from under Reardon. Uh, She still had the contact information for all of the players, and she just so happened to forget to pass it on to Reardon's new assistant. Instead, she worked with one of her A-list connections to set up her own game. And the only person not invited back was Reardon. The night went great. So the game was hers. She kept the game exclusive. No pros were allowed in. The initial buy-in to the game kept getting higher as well, meaning that Molly was making more money in tips. Um, so there was one player in particular who had a really big problem with this. Toby McGuire, which... So shocked for me to, like, hear about this side of him because he's, like, such a lovable nerd in Spider-Man. We actually just rewatched The Great Gatsby with him in it. And in that, too, he's just kind of, like, I feel like the characters he portrays in his movies are just kind of quiet, you know, not aggressive guys in any sense. But this was not Molly's experience with him. So there were signs he was going to be trouble from the start. He had this, like, fancy shuffling machine he wanted to start using during the poker games. So, okay, fine. But he also wanted to charge rent for using this machine. This, like, multi-million dollar guy wanted to charge rent for a machine that he was insisting on using. Which is, like, come on, seriously. And he was getting so much money from these poker games that it was not even a thing. Um, But he had also... Gained a reputation in the game for being kind of a jerk player. So he wouldn't cheat, but he also didn't necessarily abide by the social rules of the game. Um, and one night, Toby decided to poke the bear. He was going to tip Molly in a $1,000 chip, but first he wanted her to bark like a seal. He was taunting her. like What? Oh, are you too good to bark like a seal for this $1,000? Like Yeah, yeah, I am. (laughs) Total power play. And Molly was in this really bad position. She knew that if she did it, that she would lose the respect of all the other players. But if she didn't do it, then, you know, Toby would get, you know, it was like an F you to him of like, I'm not going to do this. And that would tick him off, which who knows the consequences of that. But she stood her ground, and she said, no, I'm, I'm not going to do this. And after this heated exchange, Molly received a text the next week saying the game was going to take place at another player's house. In the book, the, the player was called Arthur. So Toby called her, clearly giddy with excitement, saying, like, you are effed. Bleep. Whatever. She was cut out of the game, just like that. Toby half-heartedly said, you know, I'll try to talk to Arthur see if we can get you back but nothing ever came out of it and she didn't understand why arthur disliked her or what caused him to decide to take over the game um she would eventually run into him later and his assistant confessed that it was actually toby who cut her out just Duh. for like no reason <laughs> yeah it was less obvious in the book okay um, <laughs> but so she lost this big game in la she couldn't host it anymore She decided it was time to move on, so she packed her things and headed to New York City. There was a big underground poker scene in New York, but it typically involved members of the mob or other, you know, criminal activities, so she had heard of an exclusive celeb game that had a 250k buy-in, so that's like just to get into the game, you have to buy that much, then people add more on that so it was like millions and millions of dollars that were going into just in one night um it didn't take place very often because there wasn't someone who was un- officially or officially in charge of hosting but this is where molly came in she used her connections to put a game together using the same tactics from her games in la she would host it at a different location every week she had a rotation of like really swanky hotels and um she had that higher buy-in which meant that there was more money on the line and at this point molly was acting as a bank so if she got stiffed she would have to cover the costs herself Hmm. getting stiffed was less of a problem in la where social currency was almost as important as actual currency um so it was less likely that she was going to get stiffed in la because they wouldn't be invited back to the game and it would just be very embarrassing to them whereas in new york that you know didn't come up as much so she had a full-time driver in new york city she liked him and obviously trusted him because he would be you know driving her home at like five in the morning all hours of the night and one day he asked molly if she could meet with two of his friends who were interested in the game she was you know pretty sure that she wasn't going to let these guys in because you would need to be like a celebrity or super rich or you know fit tick one of those boxes and, and these guys didn't But she felt that she owed it to her driver and, you know, just wanted to meet with them to just say she did it. Um, So she had a meeting at the Four Seasons there that day and was just like, hey, you guys can come meet me for a drink after. When they showed up, they looked like they were straight out of the Goodfellas movie. They were huge. (laughs) One had like a necklace with a bullet on it. And they looked very out of place in the crowd of business people and celebrities. So when they sat down, Molly was surprised. They both ordered uh, apple which Molly was like, "I would not expect that. That's why I did my drink. I wasn't gonna make an apple teeny though because that seems a little extra. I don't even want that." Um, but they made a proposition. It turned out to not actually be much of a proposition, but so they were in the mob and they were offering her their services in exchange for a cut of her pay molly was not interested so if the mob had gotten involved with her game she would probably lose all her clients because that was the appeal of her game is that it was more or less legal um so she turned them down she said no thank you she thought that she had successfully navigated the situation but Sometime later, Molly was back at her apartment, and she was expecting some packages from her doorman. She heard a knock at the door and went to answer. So she lived in a building that had, you know, like security. It was a a nice building. They weren't just going to let anyone in. So when someone was knocking at her door, it was either a guest or, you know, one of the doormen. Um, When she opened the door, a gun was shoved in her mouth. It was a mob guy. He was not happy. So, he told her the partnership was not an optional thing. If she didn't accept the mob, they would find, they would cause a problem for her. And they would find her family in Colorado. So, he then proceeded to rob her. She had, like, a safe with money and, like, you know, jewelry from, like, her grandma or her mom took all of it. And he also beat the living daylights out of her.
1: Jeez. I
0: know. It's crazy. But after he left, Molly was like this isn't my life what is happening she didn't have anyone to call at that point because she was you know isolated from her family didn't really have any true friends around so she just stayed in her apartment for three weeks waiting for her face to heal she didn't want to go out in public and have anyone ask her you know what happened to you um but the mob guy had said like our guys are going to call you so like keep an eye out for that call. She just didn't know what to do next. But as luck would have it, Molly saw in the New York Times that there was a huge mob bust where 125 people were arrested. So this meant the people who orchestrated her attack were either in jail or would be laying low for a while. So she was safe, at least for now. But things were starting to unravel. There was a player back in L.A., Bradley Ruderman, a.k.a. in the movie, they call him Bad Brad. And I think that's what he was in real life. But um, basically, he was this guy who was like super rich, but he was just so bad at poker. Like he was just like it seemed like he was trying to be bad on purpose. That's how much money he lost. But it turns out that he was, you know, he made so many connections that, you know, invested in his like little scheme that he was running um, that it just totally made up for all the money that he lost. Um, yeah, he was running a Ponzi scheme and (laughs) he said it was like a real estate thing, I think, but Ponzi scheme. Um, so when he got caught, he squealed to the authorities and he blamed Molly and the other celebrities for his gambling addictions, you know, like, oh, these people forced me into it. I was just, you know, some doe-eyed guy and I think it was, you know, not the case. I think that he knew what he was doing and he just got caught. But the game had become public information and a group of hedge fund investors decided that they were going to sue Toby McGuire and some of the other celebrities involved in the game saying that Brad had lost their money and it belonged to them. So they wanted it back. At that point, the Fed started following Molly around and they were, you know, monitoring her conversations and remember that thing i said earlier about how she you know kept things legal she hadn't been anymore after molly had gotten stiffed one too many times in new york she decided to start taking a rake um she had partnered with a professional poker player named edwin tang at the time and he was like you have to do this you have to do this so she was like fine um after all you know she was the bank and if she lost too much money she wouldn't be able to keep things going So this put her in a bad place because she couldn't deny that she was doing something illegal, and she knew in her heart she wasn't being falsely accused. So all of Molly's money had been seized by the feds, and she had millions of dollars. So she went from having millions of dollars to zero dollars. It was really serious business. So she had to move back in with her mom, and the feds decided, um, you know, Since this way you made your money was illegal, you can come talk to us and maybe you'll get your money back. But Molly didn't want to talk. Instead, she started piecing her life together. She got sober. She had, you know, gotten addicted to alcohol and drugs during this time. She was up at, like, all odd hours of the night. She was constantly around that sort of stuff. So she just really wasn't doing great. But at this point, she got sober. She started reflecting on her life through writing a book. And two years later, she did end up moving back to L.A. At that point, though, she was unhireable. And it, it had literally taken her two years at that point to find a job. And she finished her book. Um, but 10 days after her move, she got a call from the FBI. They instructed her to come out with her hands up. And when she went into the hallway, there were 17 FBI agents. Like, in full gear, they had, like, automatic wep- rifle gun things and they put her in jail and she was quartered off back to new york
1: i'll be honest like if like the fbi was like outside they're like come out with your hands up i don't know if i physically would be able to walk out (laughs) right i would just be like a mess on the ground like you're gonna have to come get me
0: (laughs) i don't know she was kind of hardcore though yeah <laughs> she i feel like if you can be around like leonardo dicaprio and like toby Maguire and all these other like literal billionaires without pooping your pants not that like i don't know i kind of lost a lot of respect for rich people because it's like oh you're literally just willing to gamble like a million dollars away in one night you had respect for rich people <laughs> <laughs> Touche,
1: (laughs) touche. Not paying their fair share of taxes, taking, you know, uh, loans for small businesses for no apparent reason.
0: Okay, it just (laughs) added to the pile of frustration. In April of 2014, Molly was indicted along with 33 other people for her involvement in the underground gambling ring. So the other people involved, it was mainly focused on these Russian mobsters and this guy, Hillel, went by Heli uh, Namid, who was like... Art scene playboy. Um, but so they were just trying. I think she ended up kind of being a pawn in this more than anything else. They wanted her to become a confidential informant. Um, they assumed she knew secrets about, you know, all the Wall Street guys and all the celebs and the mobsters. So if she was able or if they were able to get her to confess these things, then, you know, it would be good for them. And she technically did do illegal legal thing, So it wasn't like they were just. You know, coming mm. out of nowhere, but they were after bigger fish, um, and they were right. She did know some really dirty secrets, but um, they even told money or er, money. <laughs> they even told Molly that she would get her money back if she spilled the beans, but and that and that they would drop the charges. Molly had you know a heart to heart with herself and was like, okay, here's my options. Like I can tell them these things. The charges are gone. I get my money back, but my reputation will be tanked like that will be it and she you know sat down and was like getting involved with this illegal business it was my choice so you know i came from a good family i had every opportunity to succeed in life um and take a more legal path and it was my choice to break the law so she was like i'm not going to do it and she pled guilty she, she only had one thing left her name so she refused mm-hmm. to give any information and she knew this meant she might serve time in jail. But she was like, you know what?
1: Like, I earned this for myself. So. Well, I'm putting it out there. If I do a crime with you and I have the option of, like, pleading that pleading out or whatever by giving you up, I am giving you up. I don't care. <laughs> Wait, what?
0: <laughs> that did not go I, in the direction I thought it was going to go.
1: <laughs> I don't care about my reputation. My I will change my name. <laughs> Like thanks i am Natalie. not going to prison okay then well i would have not turned you in but oh not whatever. you specifically you oh, okay. would never be in, in, involved in crime that's I'm letting the thing yeah all of those all of those other people in my life who want to get me involved in hard crime just kidding.
0: <laughs> yeah, all those people anyway
1: she didn't do it good for her um
0: so it assistant u.s attorney joshua joshua nefeles would tell the judge that he thought molly's involvement was minimal compared to all of the other seedy business that was going on and he recommended to the judge that her sentence included no jail time he wanted to make sure the judge wanted to make sure that she was taking this seriously though so this judge had actually been appointed by obama He was kind of a younger guy, and it was pretty clear he was disappointed in Molly um, just throughout the whole trial. But um, and something that came up too was the book. That's like, okay, when this book comes out, is it going to be like, oh, ha ha, I pulled a fast one on all of you? Or was it going to be kind of a genuine reflection, you know, on on the mistakes you made? Um, So Molly and her lawyer assured him the book was a cautionary tale for getting involved with bad things you know just the tale of a small town girl who got caught up in some bad stuff um and at this point too molly was in millions of dollars of debt um so this book was really and she you know with all of this media attention on her she wasn't getting hired for any jobs so this book would be you know a piece or to help pay her pay off all her debts and to you know serve her sentence whatever um so the judge decided that justice wouldn't be served if she were to go to jail so she just got probation had to pay the money back um and at that point she was like i'm gonna turn things around and get this book published and i'm gonna get aaron sorkin to write a movie about me which like i feel like any other person in that position would be like oh my god i need to keep my head down i just need to like Figure, like, yeah, change my name, figure out what to do next. But she made it happen. She got Aaron Sorkin to do her movie, and Jessica Chastain played her, which, like, gosh, what an honor it would be to have Jessica right? Chastain. Like, gosh, if, if we ever get famous, please, can she play me in a movie? Like,
1: <laughs> who would play me? <laughs> I don't know. Don't answer that. Don't answer that. Okay. I don't want to know. <laughs> I, um...
0: I mean, I don't know. I feel like I have a couple people lined up that I'm like, you can play me in a movie. So
1: not that that's ever going to happen. Tommy (laughs) Lahren.
0: Stop. Don't say that. (laughs) That hurts my feelings. Natalie once (laughs) sent a picture of like you sent a picture to me of like Kristen Bell, Tommy Lahren, and I think like one other generic blonde person. The girl, the girl from The Bachelor who was like. Oh, Corinne. Falling asleep. Yeah. (laughs) rude i look nothing like any of them i just have blonde hair okay i mean (laughs) okay (laughs) (sighs) whatever natalie anyway that's my story of molly bloom uh i will say white privilege af in this case like you (laughs) that's when i was watching the movie with Evan, i'm like "Mm, if she were black (laughs) he's like yeah so
1: I have the exact same takeaway from my case. And, like, once you got to the end of I was like, again? <laughs> like, yeah. This, ugh, it's I so, think ugh.
0: white privilege and also, like, attractive privilege of pretty privilege. She's yeah. good looking and short. So mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, she doesn't need to go to jail. Which, you know, maybe she. Yeah, I was. Well, quickly, I was going to say uh, maybe she doesn't need to go to jail but also there are probably a lot of other people out there too that don't need to go to prison so maybe we should extend this you know giving people a second chance to more people instead of taking
1: it away from everyone
0: else is just kind of my
1: thoughts just my thoughts Meh. i would have been fine with her going to prison that's fine <laughs> She, I, she totally deserved it i think <laughs> i'm okay with that kind of equity <laughs> sure whatever you know that was just my two cents For sure. But I was like, you know, Ollie, please stop sneezing on me. Bless you, Ollie. Um, (laughs) But um, I had like, in my opinion, a really funny tweet today because I, you know, people use Grad Cafe to look um, just to see like you go on Grad Cafe and you'll post like, I got an interview from this school. They called me or it was a mass email to all of the people who were invited, stuff like that. And so I go on and one of the schools that I applied to apparently sent out like a mass email to all of the students that they invited and I didn't get one. Um, (laughs) Rude. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm fine about it. Like I I was like, "Hmm, I'm surprisingly not upset about. Uh, And I made, in my opinion, a really funny tweet that like just made me feel even better about it.
0: I see it now. Yeah. I don't know what went into that process.
1: I met the criteria me to be selected. But I wasn't into that process. That's so funny. I-
0: <laughs> oh, you're so famous. You got so many likes. I'm gonna like- retweet that on our show. <laughs>
1: I was like this is hilarious i'm i'm gonna make a good situation no, it really out of this funny. Um, funny yeah so my case <clears throat> hello everybody uh, <laughs> so my case is super short um but yeah like it was one of those where you had to like piece together from like a Bunch of different news stories, um, and I was like, "Why isn't one news story telling me everything?" But whatever. Yeah, it's hard because it's
0: it's so much more work to piece it together, but you just don't have kind of the payout from it. So
1: mm-hmm. I get yeah. that. And so I'm like, I could be missing some details, but you know what? It's not my story to tell. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you did your best. Um, <clears throat> so we're gonna go back in time a little bit in 1986. The city of Oh CN- wh- That's a lot. Wait, yeah, did you say 1986
0: or 1886? <laughs>
1: 1986. Oh, with, my God. I'm having, guys, like, a stroke. Yeah, that was,
0: like... <laughs> it was 40 years 40... ago and not 20 years ago. So, in my mind, I automatically think the 80s were 20 years ago. Yeah, no. Please just right. ignore me. I'm
1: sorry. Same. I think all of us, like, we, Jarell and I were having a talk about it. It was, like, isn't it weird, like, for the longest... Time like the '90s to us was like the previous decade. Yeah, and now, yeah, and now like, if you're born in 1990, like you're 31 this year. (laughs) Um, yeah. Somebody referred to me as being in my late 20s, and I about had a conniption.
0: Like late 20s? Come on. I was like, what? What do you mean? (laughs) When I'm 29, I'll be in my late 20s, but like your 20s isn't late anything <laughs>
1: like, come on i mean i'll be 27 in like a month so
0: i think the, i've decided in my brain the official year i'm going to stop feeling young is 37
1: oh okay i think I'll i will feel young that. up
0: until then something about 37 just is like okay yep that's you know i'll feel older I feel established. like I'm
1: gonna stop feeling young like when I have a kid because then my kid will be young and I will be responsible for it.
0: Yeah, but if your kid's like a friggin baby, I think until the kid's like ten, then then I'll be like, okay, now I'm old. This is I'm old. I guess. Um, yeah. All right, yeah, back in you know back to this. So <laughs> let's um, just do your story, okay? Let's just do it. <laughs> i'll stop shut that. up rachel i'm <laughs> sorry it's the tom collins I, I finished it it's really getting to me i'm just she's real got a social buzz going on That's real nice. social
1: right now uh. once we're vaccinated i could come visit again it'll oh be my great I'm so, <laughs> so in 1986 the city of san diego california made history by selecting the first woman to serve as their mayor I guess electing, not selecting, electing the first woman to serve as their mayor, San Diego native Maureen Francis O'Connor. That's who my case is about.
0: I would say I'm proud, but I know something bad's gonna happen. So, <laughs>
1: um, so after graduating from San Diego State University in 1970, Maureen worked as a PE teacher, so a physical education teacher. For our non-American listeners who might not call it PE. Um, and she was also a school counselor for a high school. Um after several years, Maureen made a career change um turning to politics. And this so the reason that she turned to politics, I think is actually kind of a cool reason. Um so she, one day she was out at, at City Hall and like I think a man was rude to her and she was like, "Uh-uh, not on my watch. I'm running for office."
0: That would be enough to motivate me to run for office. Yeah
1: um so yeah she was treated rudely at city hall um so she ran for office and so her first office was um being elected and serving on the local city council and so she did that until 1979 during that time she met the man who she who would become her husband Robert Peterson um and so he was the founder of the the restaurant Jack in the Box have you ever been there
0: i haven't been there but i know of it
1: yeah me neither and ew i think it's like really
0: they like have all kinds of cuisines it's like we have tacos we have hamburgers we have oh
1: i thought that was red robin
0: red robin's is like more like applebee's Uh jack-in-the-box is like a fast fast food
1: okay okay i know nothing i know what mcdonald's is taco bell got that i I believe there was
0: jack in the box i don't know that they had them in oklahoma but i want to say they had them in colorado they don't have them here i've never (laughs) done so
1: yeah oh well so yeah he owned jack in the box um or i guess he was the founder so i guess that means he owned it i don't know um and so maureen she so they got married fun whatever they never had any kids um And Maureen would later serve as commissioner for the Port of San Diego until 1985. Um, And so she first ran for mayor in 1983. She ran against a man with a great last name because I'm a child, Roger Hedgecock. (laughs) Oh,
0: (laughs) No, that makes me think of hedgehogs and bad things.
1: Like I said, I'm a child. Anyway, so she lost. um, But in 1985, she ran again after Roger Hedgecock resigned amid some sort of scandal, as I feel like politicians are apt to do. It's a good thing his name wasn't Richard, (laughs) Dick Hedgecock. That was funny. Anyway, so he resigned. And so Maureen was able to run for office in 1985 when she was elected. And so while she was mayor, Maureen, a Democrat, she seemed to be very concerned about human welfare. And so she even went as far as going undercover as a homeless person for several nights to see for herself how people without housing were actually doing in San Diego, Um, which I'm like, hey, commitment to the job that is um, amazing yeah but as you know as i feel like what happens when people that are known go undercover <laughs> um, a nun like recognized her <laughs> and was uh. like um hey maureen and she was like you know if you want to she's like you i basically i think what she was trying to say is you don't really need to conceal your identity because like these like these homeless like women aren't reading the financial pages of the newspaper like you could have just you could have just come on down (laughs) um anyway so she she ended up serving as mayor until 1992 so that was two terms that she served um two years after leaving office maureen's husband robert died from leukemia and associated complications Maureen remained trustee of her late husband's charity, the RP Foundation. Well, yeah, so Ro-
0: he, he probably had to be loaded, right?
1: Oh, for sure. Um, and so Robert had created the charity be- just before he passed away with the intention of collecting charitable funds to donate to um, specific organizations, including City of Hope, the Alzheimer's Association, the San Diego Police Officers Christmas Fund, uh, Sharp Healthcare, and... San Diego hospice so um so yeah she was a trustee for that and then she also inherited from her husband uh, quite a lot of money of course which is also party like probably part of her fortune already because she was married to him and I think mm-hmm. California is a community property state um so her personal fortune after her husband died was somewhere between 40 and 50 million dollars
0: whoa right okay and that was back in the 80s too so
1: yeah this was 90 yeah so this was 94 30 years ago hey 94 was not 30 years ago okay oh
0: (laughs) i was born that year 26 yeah um, (laughs) i was
1: rounding up (laughs) see late 20s Um, late 20 years ago Um, okay, so around the year 2000, which is such a long time ago, Maureen started spending quite a bit of money on casinos uh, pretty much all over the United States, um, primarily in like the big casino places, so Las Vegas and Atlantic City, and as well as locally for her in San Diego. Per the IRS, between 2000 and 2009, Maureen had won over $1 billion from casinos. What? Right, like $1 billion. Like, how lucky must she have been, right? how much did she lose? Exactly. (laughs) So, unsurprisingly, even though she'd won $1 billion, she'd lost, like, even more. Um, So, two problems became apparent to Maureen. First, she needed more money simply to survive and maintain her lifestyle. Um, You don't go from having a $50 million fortune to being okay with living in, like, a studio apartment in, like you know the not great part of town or something um Mm -hmm. and so and the other uh issue that came apparent to her was that she needed money to feed her new gambling addiction i guess not new that was like 10 years so um so she began (laughs) so she began liquidating her assets i I don't exactly know what liquidating your assets mean. Does that just mean like selling things? Yeah,
0: just selling. I think liquidating means like, oh, you're having cold hard cash now as opposed to like
1: yeah, stocks. Okay. Okay. So if I liquidated my assets, I'd probably have like 30 cents because I think... I think Ollie's worth more than that. He's not an asset that I can liquidate, is oh, he? Oh,
0: you could technically sell. I mean, I was just thinking like purebred <laughs> Oh, dog.
1: that's true um so he, so dogs can be assets okay all right ollie i, I guess $600. according to our law but like <laughs> do we
0: do we really own anything natalie like are Good. we not just like spirits floating through the universe
1: like anyway sorry this is all a simulation guys <laughs> <We're matrix. laughs> um so yeah i yeah i'm I, long story short in that regard I'm poor she wasn't but she kind of was and so she spent the bulk of her money from liquidating her assets on gambling of course and eventually she ran out and so now she had no money to pay off the casino debts that she had accrued Um, and so she turned to the funds donated to uh, the charitable foundation for which she was a trustee no, always a bad idea Um, and so beginning in 2008, she started making a series of money transfers from the RP foundation to her own personal bank account. Um, in total, she only took about, and I say only because like her debt, I think was significantly more, um, to $2,088,000. As a result, her late husband's foundation went bankrupt and had to close its accounts almost immediately. Maureen knew that the transactions would raise red flags to the IRS, so she listed the stolen funds as loans to conceal what she had actually done and to avoid paying taxes on the money, which, isn't that the thing that all rich people do? Like, just pay your taxes. Yeah. Jeez.
0: Like, come, come on. Guys.
1: Like, come I feel on. like, in addition, Maureen took out three separate mortgages on her home, so she took out a second one and then the third one um, so that she could, like, feed her habit and also, like, slowly pay off some of these debts so that these casinos would let her back you know Mm -hmm. um and so through all of this maureen neglected her health which um definitely became like began to suffer greatly and so i do think that's like one of those tell kind of signs of the gambling addiction or any addiction really where Mm -hmm. you become hyper focused on i guess compulsively hyper focused on this like one thing and you're neglecting all of these other significantly important areas of your life. Um, Mm -hmm. I think like now, like Maureen's like in her seventies. And so if this is the two thousands, like she's like in her sixties, maybe late fifties, I don't know. Um, And so like, she's definitely at like an age where taking care of your health is like paramount. And so she really wasn't doing that. Um, And so Maureen attempted to complete a transfer of, $449,000 from the RP Foundation so that she could write a $100,000 check to the Bellagio Casino in Las Vegas. Unfortunately, Maureen was caught and she ended up being federally charged with um, wire fraud and I think misappropriation of funds. And so Maureen said, quote, those of you who know me here know that I wouldn't that I never meant to hurt the city that I love. I always intended to pay it back and I still intend to pay it back. Um, And so she never actually took any money from the city. And so I do think it's interesting that like even from some of the news articles, it, it almost doesn't make it clear that she didn't take money from the city. But it almost seems like because she was a mayor, it was like a crime against the city that she would do that. Um, that
0: makes, but also, too, this money was going towards community resources. Yeah within, the,
1: yeah, within the city, for sure. That's a good point. And so the argument defending Maureen's actions by her defense attorneys was that she was simply a grief-stricken widow. What, like What else could she do but gamble? Um, and so, um, this isn't funny, but Maureen is quoted as saying in that period of time, I lost my husband, three siblings and best friends. Um, and so I don't think it's, you know, like out of the realm of possibility, like people turn to alcohol, people turn to, you know, all sorts of different things. Um, good habits, bad habits when they're, you know, grieving or in pain or, um, things like that.
0: Gambling disorder Here's my piece. Here's what I'll say is gambling disorder is more of a new kind of has been more newly accepted in the field of addictions. Um, I think for the most part that our field has generally focused on, you know, like alcohol addiction or substance addiction because there is a physical dependence that comes along with those things versus, you know, with like gambling or shopping or Internet. It looks a little bit different but i believe that it activates the same areas of your brain um in some cases that are activated by you know certain substances so you're getting um the same kind of experience from it um but it's just hard for people to wrap their brains around because there is no physically dependent it does not you know
1: i feel like i mean I don't know what I'm saying. No, you're kidding. It was just meowing, <laughs> and I got distracted. Um, I feel like the same part of my brain is activated when I eat Chipotle. Problem. Right. Well,
0: like, our brain chemicals yeah. are activated by all kinds of things. Um, You know, even going out into the sunlight, you know, changes your brain chemistry. Like, taking a walk changes your brain chemistry. It, It's impacted by – and, like, I, you know, I'm not a neurologist, so I can't say – do you hear that you know i can't say too much on that but i do know that the main distinction between you know like gambling addiction and other you know substance abuse addictions are that it's missing that piece so it's just harder to comprehend and i i think you know the field is looking a lot more at like gambling addictions and um you know other types of quote-unquote addictions um
1: for sure Um, but it is still one of those things and we talk about it all the time like just because you have a mental like disorder or a mental illness or some sort of you know medical or mental something that leads to a crime like it doesn't absolve you from the crime like having a gambling disorder itself is not a crime stealing money from a foundation is a crime so um yeah this is like one of those things where it's like uh, maybe if she after she lost that first million, if someone stepped in <laughs> um, but um, so yeah, the so yeah, the argument was um that she. Um, like, was dealing with a lot of grief. Um, in addition, around 2011, Maureen actually had struf- suffered a stroke, um, following which doctors discovered that Maureen had a brain tumor. tumor. And so this is where it gets complicated. Um, and so the tumor was removed right around the time that, you know, poop hit the fan. Um, and so Maureen, along with her attorneys, blamed Maureen's gambling disorder on the brain tumor now and so maureen is even quoted as saying there are two maureens maureen number one and maureen number two maureen number two is the maureen who did not know she had a tumor growing in her brain thanks for the shout out gary Um, (laughs) i was like oh wait did you not hear yeah i did (laughs) um but and so i this is one of those things where yeah, I think it's totally possible. Like it's not outside of the realm of possibility that the brain tumor was a contributing factor. I Do we know what area? That's of the, the thing. Brain the tumor they don't provide in. any of that information, which I feel like if it really was in like an area of the brain that is like tied to that sort of thing, like I feel like they would have released yeah. I feel like they would have released that information. Um I also I don't think that there's anything because she got caught. It's not like she found out about the brain tumor, got the tumor removed and then the gambling stopped and then she got caught. She got mm-hmm. ca- like, so I, it just seems to me like this was just like, we're throwing something at a wall and like also, yeah. What, at what little.
0: rate was this tumor growing? Was mm-hmm. it something that was there for a long time? Um, You know, was it something that, was a very quick onset. Yeah, I feel like we just don't have enough
1: information for me to, like, conclusively be like, okay, that that is worth considering. Yeah, it does seem to me shady, though. And I'm I'm happy to, you know, doubt people. So, (laughs) um, ultimately, in 2013, Maureen was able to make a deal with U.S. District Judge um, David Bartik and federal prosecutors. And so this deal, in my opinion, is complete another bs um and so basically uh prosecutors said that they would hold off on prosecuting maureen for misappropriation of funds and like wire fraud and all of that to give her the opportunity to pay restitution and meet and meeting like a few other conditions so reporting her assets and investments to the u.s attorney's office and seeking treatment for gambling addiction addiction and so the stipulate so the like throwaway statement was otherwise she faces potential um, like fines. And so they so the agreement was that they would hold off on prosecuting her for two years. However, like even though that's in the even though that's like the general part of it, like th- she has to do it within two years. They also include the language when she is financially able to do so. And so that meant. She wasn't going to be financially yeah. able to do so. And so that meant that she could pay the restitution even after the two year deadline passed. And she's, even though they said, like, well, if she doesn't do it, she's going to be subject to more fines and jail time. And that like, never happened because of the statement when she is financially able to do so. Um, it's and like so, you're trying to get water out of a stone. Yeah. Like, come on. And so my interpretation of what that deal is, once she has money, so it could be 10 years from now, but once she has money, then she has two years to, like, pay. <laughs> and so that means this whole time she goes without conviction for, you know, stealing all that money and... Um, like, there, there's literally no punishment. No judge is actually going to rule in her case. Um, and so, like, today, as far as I can tell, she hasn't paid any, any restitution. Um, and she hasn't been subject to more fines, as far as I can tell. Um, no jail time, nothing like that. Um, I'm hopeful that she did get treatment for her gambling addiction. It doesn't sound like there's been other big issues of gambling in her life. And so you know that's great but i don't think she that also this... was
0: probably banned from
1: any like refutable because you yeah, because they're yeah. not going to go after you if they're not if you're not paying them back yeah um that's a very good point as well um i also just i just don't think that other certain types of other people don't get this type of a chance like at no oh, oh, absolutely <laughs> yeah, exactly and it's it's frustrating to me like even in your case and in mine i'm like well here we have like two white women and if these were black women or probably pretty much any other race like would would maureen be sitting outside of jail like living her life if sh- if no. she was black um With, like, a pending prosecution with no, like, trial date, just on hold indefinitely. Probably not. Shake my head. Um, And so, yeah. So that's pretty much it. This is, like, a random fun fact. And I'm not trying to, like, make fun of old women. But (laughs) so she lives, she currently still lives in San Diego with her twin sister. And her twin sister, Maureen's twin sister, is named... (laughs) mavernine and i just oh, (laughs) i'm just like how creative i guess that Um, just seems
0: like her mother was like on the drugs and (laughs) they were like what do you want to name this one they're like Maureen and then they were like okay what about this one and she was like i already told you i'm naming maverine and they were like all right well i guess i'll just write that one (laughs) down
1: Yeah, I've never seen a name spelled like this before. It's M-A-V-O-U-R-N-E-E-N. So I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but yeah. So you know, Maureen and Mavernine um, are just living in San Diego together. Um, so yeah, that's my case. That was a real the fun end. one. <laughs> the theme of today was actually
0: white privilege. Our music is the track Wasteland by Joseph McDade. His Patreon and our podcast sources will be linked in the podcast description below. Any mistakes are entirely our own, so check out our wonderful sources for the most accurate information about these cases.
1: We talk about some tough subject matter on our show. If you or someone you love is in need of support, please reach out to the Crisis text line by texting HOME to 741741. They are available 24-7 and will connect you with a trained crisis counselor.
0: You can also reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Join us next week for another episode of Pink Collar, a true crime podcast.